cut you the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask him how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return, and I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know this. That's it. I'm done. Long walk back, Stacks and Jacks. I'm Andrew. I'm Tom Howe. He's Andrew. And as soon as Andrew turns my mic on, there he goes. Uh, we have S&P futures up 250. NASDAQ futures up 49. Dow futures down 46. Still not getting any feedback, uh, Andrew. You got something not working over there. The, uh, um, but I'm not hearing you for some reason. I'm not hearing myself. Anyway, something something is amiss, but you'll figure it out. Uh, do we have Mr. Kevin? You do. Uh, what's up, man? How are you? Are well, our, I'm doing all right. Friday. What could be wrong? Well, one of our favorites went down, huh? David Crosby. Yeah, that's too bad. That's yeah. too bad. We could, do we have some uh, bumper music queued up for him? Well, as soon as he figures out how to get my headphones on, we'll, we'll hope, hope that we do. <laughs> the, uh, um, anywho, uh, I think he was the guy. He was a strange duck, wasn't he? Sort of. Uh. Well, I, I, I think uh, Strange Duck is one way to put it. Um, he, he was uh, kind of abrasive and, and didn't necessarily get along with everybody very well. Um, I, I think that he, uh, Dr. J, our buddy, um, we went out to a seminar in California, and Jan has most of his family is in California. That's where his dad was originally. He was a, a surgeon at University of San Francisco, and then he got the job as chief of surgery at Minnesota. And they moved up there. Much to John Chagrin, he's not a big cold weather guy. But uh, he had a cousin. We stayed up at his cousin's place up in, way up in the top of this hill in Mill Valley. And I don't know if you've ever been out there, but it literally is a spot where you you know you lean all the you lean the country to one side and all the the crazy the nuts roll that way or something. His uh, cousin was one of the brightest, most attractive ladies I've ever met. She was a little out there. And it was, you had to go, I mean, I don't know how the hell John found the place, but somehow it was basically one-lane dirt road up this hill, and she was up near the top. You, know, you, go, you went across the bridge, and then it was like another exit down. The next exit past Sausalito is now, it's like Mill Valley. And then, but then it's, it's really up in, the, up in the woods. And so up you go, and we're staying at her place, and down the road, two houses down to the right, I think it was this house that David Crosby spent like two years in, like by himself. I, I'm positive it's him, and he and he painted all the windows black from the inside, and nobody saw the dude. I mean, this was this must have been 30 years ago, and he was like he he fell out of the world for a while or something. Some kind of real strange story, but he, he lived right near her, and I've it was it was bizarre. And of course, her house was haunted and all kinds of stuff until the people that were in there, the the people the haunted people all left and so forth. But um, but you couldn't really argue with her, Kevin, because she was dropped dead. She looked like Judy Collins with a better figure, for God's sake. These incredible blue eyes and, and, and brilliant as all get out. I don't know if she had a PhD or what she did. But I mean, uh, just a fascinating person to deal with. And everybody up in that area was like all people like that. It was just <laughs> it was just strange. And there was David Cosby with his, with his house with the windows painted black from the inside. And I, I don't know how he got his groceries or what he did. but 
Well, you know what? Uh, um, part of being uh, uh, creative and artistic uh, is is often being weird. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, <clears throat> but I think he. Let's just say I think he packed a lot of living in these eighty-one years. Doesn't mean anybody needs to go and would like to see him hang around longer. Obviously, but. Uh, well, well, I, I was sort of thinking that you know when when I uh, saw the news about him uh, last night, and and I think it's you know we're we're kind of at the point for our age group where uh, a whole bunch of um, uh, of the people whose music we loved uh, died in their twenties because they just lived <laughs> in yeah. ways that would kill them. Um, and like yesterday was Janis Joplin's birthday, and she's a perfect example. What was she like twenty seven when she died of a uh, heroin overdose? Yeah. Um, so those who survived the uh, '60s and early '70s are now starting to die because of old age. Old, old, uh, old age and, and hard living. Old age, hard living, and you know some yeah. So some of it is the repercussions uh, of old age. And uh, let me let me do a quick check and see how old Crosby was. Eighty one. Eighty one. Yeah. Okay. Well, eighty one. You know, eighty one in our age group is pretty good. Well, one of my buddies who actually saw the first. Uh, at the Auditorium Theater, first concert here at Crosby, Stills, and Nash, still maintains it's the best concert he ever saw. But the auditorium I didn't see that. I never saw them all together. I didn't either. I, but I, I did see a couple of concerts in the Auditorium Theater. And, I mean, what did John Madden say? Um, uh, venue never makes it, never wins a football game. But I think venue has a lot to do with, with a concert. And I, I saw some really good people at, like, the amphitheater and God knows where else. I mean, Notre Dame was a pretty good place uh, to see somebody. It was pretty acoustically sound, but the auditorium theater was absolutely spectacular to see somebody there because they didn't have anywhere near, they put anywhere near. I saw Emerson, Lake, and Palmer there, and I'm going to say it was the best concert I ever saw, probably because it was in the auditorium theater. Well, I saw a lot of people there, too, um, ranging from, uh, you know, like uh, Seals and Cross to the Grateful Dead. Really? Um and uh, and all of them were they, they were good shows, but they were good shows because the performers were good as well. But the venue was great, and it was built for uh, for being a great place for music. I, I think that you could do opera there on mic. That's how good the acoustics were. Was that true? Mm, I, you know what? I, I'm I'm probably not the best uh, acoustics person to ask, and uh, certainly not when it comes to opera. So. I really don't have an opinion on that, other than to say the acoustics were always very good in there. Uh, I saw Seals and Crofts at the Quiet Night the night before they uh, published their Summer Breeze album. And I think uh, we always with me. I think Dr. Johnson might have been with me. I think your brother might have been with me. We went there and we saw them and we said, boy, these guys are really good. <laughs> the yeah, they, they were kind of good. <laughs> and the waitress goes, you'll find out how good tomorrow they're putting out their, their debut album. <laughs> He was right. No, we actually, you know, we ran to at the bar there that, that night with Norm Van Leer. Oh, yeah? He was, yeah, he was there. Was, we were talking to him for a while. Norm, if I remember him from his uh, his days on uh, sports radio, seems to me he was a big classic rock fan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was there a lot, I think. And uh, they, they had blues, they had rock, they had all kinds of stuff there. I mean, uh, Seagull Scrawl used to play it every Monday night. It's a great yeah, I remember, uh, you know, Quiet Night was, uh, you know, was a great place. It was a great Chicago place. You know who was a, a big performer there was uh, Steve uh, Goodman. Yeah. And the, and Before the, he opened his own place. Yeah, and the, and the owner of the place was really into the, the scene, obviously. You really have to be to be able to book all those people. But he was the guy who convinced Steve Goodman, who actually wrote the City of New Orleans, to give the song to Arlo Guthrie, 
if he wanted it to be a hit because he said it wouldn't be a hit if you sing it. So they gave the song to Arlo Guthrie, and obviously it was a huge hit, and then other people sang it afterwards. Well, and as as it shows up on the uh, Stocks and Jocks uh, uh, opening every now and again, Steve Goodman also wrote the perfect country and western song. And he wrote Go Cubs Go. Took him a second try, thanks yeah. to David Allen Coe giving him a prompt to it, but uh, but he definitely wrote the perfect country and western. And he's he's the guy why I, I'm I'm very much against cremation. The guy was cremated. They spread his ashes at home plate, and a couple of years later, they dug up the whole infield, threw it in a trash can, and uh, put a new infield in. So now he's in a landfill. Just saying. So, so you're saying the ashes that I want uh, uh, scattered in uh, uh, in the batter's box at Diamond One of the Athletic Field uh, on Addison, um, which is one of my happy places. Uh, you're saying that's a bad idea. Why don't we just get you a nice grave and a gravestone that says somebody walks by there 200 years ago and says, geez, Kevin O'Neill, he must have been somebody. Somebody cared about him, put him here and put a stone up for him. Mm. Just saying. I don't know. Seems I'd like a waste. I'd rather have somebody like Seems that. Seems like a waste of space. Well, that's okay. That's all right. You deserve it. <laughs> anyway, uh, we also have Mike Brayley. Yeah, nobody cared enough to put a stone up, but, you know, it really did anybody come visit. <laughs> well, you know, I... I my uh, well, former girlfriend, still friend, Robin, she's been on the show. When I went to her brother's, uh, uh, he graduated from medical school out in Albany, and we went to cemetery to see her father's grave. God, you see those cemeteries up in New England. There's people in there that checked in at, like, you know, 1690. <laughs> I mean, it's you walk by these things, and you get these big, huge stones and the, the chains around them, and you go, God, these people must have been somebody. It's, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> just anyway, it's better, better than walking by a pile of ashes, just saying. However, uh, Mike Bray's leaving too, right? Mike Bray has uh, decided to hang it up after uh, uh, after the um, uh, season ends, and uh, I, I think it's it's probably the right time for that. I, I will miss him. I, I, you know, I, look, just for disclosure purposes, I personally like the man um, a lot, um, and he really, you know, his reputation is that he's a good guy, and he really is a good guy in person. Um, and uh, you know things I appreciated about him professionally. First of all, he's he's Notre Dame's all-time winningest coach, and he set that record. He passed Digger Phelps, and he did it in fewer games. So it's not just because he was there a long time, but he actually uh, it took him fewer games than Phelps to get to that. Point. Well, Digger, they started Digger out with his first year with with you and I would have been stars on that team. So they they started. Well, Digger. yeah, but Bray didn't exactly start. You know, pick up the team from the golden era of uh, Notre Dame basketball either. What is uh? You know, he he was uh, uh, Matt Doherty came in for one year and then left. But before that, it was the John McLeod years, which you may not you may recall was not exactly uh, what was the time in Notre Dame basketball. What was Doherty's deal? Why did he why did he was there for one year and left? Because uh, the North Carolina job opened up. All right. And so he, he went for it. That was actually kind of a, uh, you know, first of all, I, I don't, Dean Smith didn't want him to do it. So that, that was the, the big thing is because Smith had lobbied really hard for Doherty to get the opportunity at Notre Dame. And so uh, um, he, he did not think uh, Doherty was, A, ready for a job as major as North Carolina, and B, um, was, uh, uh, you know, should have uh, honored some kind of a commitment to Notre Dame who gave him a shot at his first head coaching job. Um, but um, uh, Doherty, uh, you know, not in, in, uh, I think he's a jackass, what can I say? 
um, he uh, he maneuvered around Smith, um, who uh, who I think had wanted Larry Brown to come in and take the program for a while, and then maybe Doherty or one of the other North Carolina alumni would be ready to move into the job after uh, Larry Brown. But um, uh, he, he maneuvered around him, got the job, and lasted like two years, um, and partly and very much so because. He was just always so abrasive, and he was like that in other stops along the way as well. Um, and I don't even know that he's in coaching anymore. Uh, well, what? Uh, why? Why does a, a program you know, with a guy like uh, the guy, the uh, like Bray? Why, how, I mean, I, but I'm not. You're there. I'm not there, and I, I can sense. You know, I, I'm watching more college basketball. Maybe you've infected me. Uh, lately, but you can just some of the games. The the places are alive, and it's not just the teams are good. There's a lot of student uh, participation. There's the seats of, of the the other people in town, whether they're faculty or other people from the town. They're pretty much full. Everybody's all fired up. I mean, it, and it's and it's you know it's a great thing to do on a Tuesday night when you're in college for God's sake. And and then there's other places where you there's nobody there. Students aren't there. There's the place is quiet. The, the, stu- the, the people playing are, you know, they're trying, but it's, there's no, it's 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 not across the board that people are fired up for this stuff. I mean, it just isn't. I mean, I well, I, we were talking about this just the other day, and you know, my my opinion is that one, there, there just aren't as many uh, basketball fans in general, and and sports fans of the sports that um, you know that that people in our age group. Um, have always loved it's basically football, baseball, basketball, hockey, um, and there aren't as many uh, uh, there. And you know things like esports are really big, and um, um, you know it's it, uh, it, it, it's just it, it's a different you know different tastes in the age group, and so I think that affects it. I do think um, stu- you know stu- people in the student age group really like big games and big events. And so they turn out when the cameras are going to be there, and it's a national broadcast. And so you would see that. What were you tell? You told me you were watching Maryland, Michigan, the other day. Yeah, Maryland. Where was that? At Maryland or at, at Michigan? At Maryland. At Maryland. Yeah, Maryland's. You know, it, it's a basketball school with a whole lot of tradition, and they've been pretty good lately. And uh, yet, you know, I, I think if you if you were to look at the uh, uh, the turnout for different games. Some of them are going to get better draws than others. I wouldn't be surprised that, that even if they couldn't really draw for Michigan, they might draw for Penn State because it's a neighbor state and a rivalry. Well, do you think a lot of this, some of it has to do with the the conferences? Uh, I mean, they used to be in with Carolina, South Carolina, those playing a place, and now they're in the Big Ten. Well, you know, they don't belong. I mean, where's, where's, the, where's the rivalry between them playing Nebraska, for God's sake? Well, I, I think that's a, that's a huge deal. Um, and you know, I, I think uh, to a great extent that's an issue with Notre Dame too. That you know, when if it's Duke and, or North Carolina coming to town, cool. But you know, what, what does anybody care about? You know, uh, even even if they're good, why does anybody care about Clemson ca- uh, basketball and North Carolina State basketball? It's not a rivalry. And if, if Notre Dame were still in the Big East and we're playing Villanova and Georgetown and Marquette and you know and so on, it, you know, if if that were, if that were their schedule, um, then I think you would find uh, you know a lot different attitude towards uh, basketball. And in part because so many of the students that go to Notre Dame also. You know, went to you know, especially if they went to Catholic high schools, uh, they may have a 
applied to some of those schools themselves and considered some of those schools themselves and have friends at those schools. So the rivalries, you know, they, they get a little more personal for them. Um, and, and I, you know, you're going to see this with the Big Ten, that uh, um, it, it's going to spread its footprint from coast to coast. Uh, you know, who's going to be USC's basketball rival? Well, as, as you know, because you, you were on the other day, my, my theme starting the new year, at least for a while, one of my themes, is trying to figure out as people make these sort of investments going forward, or, or in the case of the Bears and a lot of other people, asking a lot of other people to make investments for you, which is another whole topic that we won't go into today, but it, of course, frosts me totally that, uh, you know, what, what do you see going forward? Uh, you know, is, is this the time we've had in the last 20 years? I managed to have an article buried somewhere around here. How many millions of dollars have gone into expanding? Uh, college football stadiums and the size of them. I mean, it's 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 incredible the amount of schools that have spent millions of dollars. Now they don't they don't piss away money like a municipality does. I mean, for Michigan to go from you know 100,000 seats to whatever 106, whatever they did, I'm going to say that you know the way schools or, or, or Notre Dame putting the extra 20,000 on there, they ride herd on the project so much that it probably actually paid them in, in five or ten years for the, the extra seats. I mean, I don't know the numbers. I mean, it's a, a lot different than, you know, $4 billion for a Bears stadium for eight, you know I mean? It, I mean, in terms well, of... Well, and they tend to use existing infrastructure. Too. Yeah, without a doubt. And so, I mean, the best one, if you ever want to see uh, something bizarre, I think it's got to be the second or third biggest stadium now, and it's not as big as a big house, but Penn State. And the thing started out at what, like 20,000? Then they put on some area, then another area, and other things like, what, 102? <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah, it's, it's, and it's it's funny because it's not it's not elegant in terms of the uh, you know navigating the 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 place uh, because it, it is it's you know it's kind of tinker toy type of construction where we add on a bolt we bolt on something here we bolt on something there um, and and it isn't always uh, elegant in the architectural sense but it's it is more cost effective to do it that way than to just tear everything down and build a new one. Well, it, it's, if you one of the examples, and you know, it's been there for a long time, so people younger maybe know what the hell I'm talking about. But I, mean, I used to go to Vegas a lot, and Caesar's Palace was, you know, was there. It was one of the not the original ones, but it was fairly close to one of the original ones. And uh, and as and as they made money, they continued. To, I think the Caesar's Palace was, I think, the Kansas City mob back that. I'm not positive on that. Uh, Chicago was a stardust, uh, and obviously New York was the the flamingo. Uh, not the fl- yeah, the, no the uh, the one uh, Bugsy Siegel. With the, yeah, it's a flamingo, right? Uh, anyway, the uh, the uh, so so they would it would add a they'd make a bunch of money for a couple of years, then they'd add a spot, then they'd add a spot. And the first one that was actually built totally from from ground up as a as a huge place, I think was the Mirage. To the point where the day they opened, they needed a million dollars a day in, in revenue to, to stay afloat. And uh, and the people in Caesars and stuff look at these guys going, they're out of their mind. You know, starting like that. But it worked. You know, and then, of course, everybody else done the same thing after that. But uh, anyway, Kevin, after the break, we should have Mr. Uh, Murphy, and we'll start talking about some, some stuff that's going on in military supply. A lot of people are looking for parts in the market that we should... Uh, uh, you know, by uh, matter of fact, I've had nothing but client calls all week. Uh, you know, what should we do this year if we don't think the market's going to go up twenty percent? Can we find areas? And you know, a lot of people are zeroing on this defense stuff, but I, I'm struggling to pick stocks in there. There's a, there is a uh, 
ETF for defense stocks. I think it's the XTA or X. I'll find out. Uh, and uh, but I mean, the thing doesn't trade very much. And I don't know if that's a good alternative or not. And I would. Uh, anyway, we'll be right back. Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401- 8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here, right now, right now. Hello, Northbank Stacks and Jacks. I'm Andrew on the board. S&P futures are down uh, eight, or actually they're up eight bucks. We're trying to look for a rally here today. NASDAQ futures up 70. I thought we might get a rally because uh, Facebook, not Facebook, Netflix came out with uh, 
Um, good results last night. They're up 20 bucks today, so I thought that might turn us around a little bit. Dow futures are down 50. Dow is negative for the year after the huge start of the first couple of weeks. It's been down like 1,200 points this week. It's really amazing whack with the... Uh, the um, uh, so Larry Summers says, The greatest tra tragedy would be if central banks don't finish the job on inflation. Larry Summers... I'd love to have him on the show because I think he's a brilliant guy, but I, somehow I think he's, the world is losing him. I, I, anyway, that's just one man's opinion. Over in Europe, we've got the we got a rally here today. DAX up 68.5%, FTSE up 12.2%, CAC around up 39.6%. So moderately to the upside over in Europe. Uh, yesterday, Dow was down another 252, S&P down 30, NASDAQ down 104. So it was another bad day, but uh, hopefully today the other way around. Uh, Nikkei up 148. They were down 300 yesterday. That's 0.6%. Hang Seng up 393, another almost 2%. 22,044. Shanghai up 24.7%. I don't know if I buy this, if I believe this Hang Seng rally, but it's, as they say, was, if you're short, it's real. Uh, bonds, three basis points, 3.43. The Bund up nine basis points, 2.14. Look like they're going under 2%, but now they've, they've popped back up again. Japan up three basis points, 0.43. We've got oil up 16 cents, 80.49. Brent up 12 cents, 86.28. Natural gas down five cents, three twenty-one. As you look at your gas bill, <laughs> two or three times in some areas last year, you wonder why that is because it's natural gas is three twenty-one. Our Bob unchanged two sixty. We've got gold, which had a huge rally yesterday, up another five forty today, nineteen twenty-nine. Silver up eighteen cents, twenty-four oh five. Copper down a penny, four twenty-one. We've got crypto down thirty-eight bucks, but still over twenty-one thousand, twenty-one zero seven two. When I say that, I mean Bitcoin. U.S. dollar. Uh, is up just slightly. The pound's at 108. I'm sorry, the pound's at 123, and then the euro's at 108. So uh, dollar's down slightly. Those are up. What do you got for us, uh, Traffic Weather Sports, Andrew? All right. It is uh, January 20th. It's currently 6.35 a.m. Starting off with sports and some football. Uh, tomorrow, we can look forward to the Jaguars playing the Chiefs at 3.30 p.m., and the Giants are going to be playing the Eagles at 7.15 p.m. Now for scores for last night, starting with uh, basketball, the Bulls won over the Pistons, ending their game 126-108, to and the Suns beat the Nets, ending their game 117-112. to Now over to hockey, the Blackhawks won over the Flyers 4-1, but the Coyotes lost to the Capitals 4-0. Uh, over for Chicago weather, it is currently uh, 33 degrees, we've got some slight snow out there, but it's probably not going to stick. Uh, and 33 is the highest we're going to get today. Is it's going to go gradually down slowly over the rest of the day. Over in Phoenix, they're at 47 degrees, currently cloudy. And they're going to have have a high of 56 throughout the day. And now finally for Chicago traffic, uh, a little bit of traffic is building on the major expressways. Uh, thankfully, only one accident to note, which is out on the inbound Dan Ryan uh, before 71st Street is a accident that's blocking the right two lanes and it's causing traffic all the way back to about I-57. So take a look out for that if you're coming in on the Dan Ryan. So that's all I got. Back to you, Chief. Uh, do we have Mr. Murphy? Yes, you do, Tom. Good, Good. morning. Good, how are you? Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning, Mike. Hey, it's amazing how, how cleverly they've designed these phone systems to get two people on at the same time. Yeah, yeah. We might have to totally uh, rearrange... Uh, <laughs> I don't know what we're gonna do, but, but we're uh, we're uh, we have two people saying that everything works on their end, and yet they don't work. So uh, we're gonna have to do something different. But hey, Mike, uh, I and mean, you've been listening. I know uh, 
is this time of the year since you know most of the most of the day now I'm spending doing kind of year in review with various clients trying to figure out what this year is going to be like you know obviously last year uh, some of the people at uh, the NFL group that I do some business with the guys that are were long you know they're, they're doing just the long stack part of it they do a couple covered rights but mostly it's just long stacks uh, they ended up having a way better year than any well I don't know about anybody because I don't know what everybody else did but they had a, a pretty solid year, given the fact that the market was down 30 to 20 percent, depending on what index you're talking about, by making an early dive into defense stocks, to, uh, um, overweighted those pretty heavy. I mean, as soon as Ukraine got in, uh, uh, invaded, and now so now everybody sort of wants to be in defense stocks, and clearly, uh, listening to you and Lou a little bit, uh, well, Lou and me, you, you, um, some, and that we have a lot of defense stores inventories that need to be uh replenished and other kinds of stuff what i mean i'm not surely not expecting to name companies because I, I don't know anybody can do that but what is just in terms of time frame and wh- when i asked this is uh, dan was on on thursday dan janitas who talked about some of the companies that he uh, deals with mid-sized companies that he likes to go you know invest money in uh were part of the first infrastructure bill you know, way back and they're sort of just getting their money now. Uh, you know, they're actually starting to go out for some of this road work and things like that. What is, how, how does the defense procurement project work in terms of timing? And when does somebody actually get the dough? When does when does, uh, production, how, how quickly can production start? I mean, obviously some of the lines are still there. They're, they're, they're actually doing stuff. Some of the lines are dead. Some of the lines are gone. I mean, how, how does this whole thing work? I mean, there's a big question for you, bud. Well, hi. I'm pretty sure all the lines are still open, and I would look at whoever supplies artillery and air defense systems because that's what Ukraine is requesting. That's what they're using. I don't know where the Russians get their artillery from. It's probably from a company inside Russia, but they're bombing the the bejesus out of Ukraine, and that's the Russian style of war is, bomb heavily and use artillery and the Ukrainians are trained in the Russian style of war also so they're going through artillery rapidly so artillery is one thing air defense and now they're talking about uh, shipping tanks to or or they want to ship tank Ukraine wants tanks to be shipped there one of the holdups is Germany isn't giving permission to ship old leopards to Ukraine because Poland already wants to do that. Actually, Poland is threatening to do that anyways. The U.K. sending some tanks. We're talking about sending some tanks, although uh, we have not made that decision yet. But uh, infantry fighting vehicles, Canada is sending 200. I think the company that makes those is called Rochelle, R-O- S-H-E-L, they're called the Senator APV, Armored Personnel Vehicle. We are going to send Bradleys. Um, I'm not sure how many. I think that's still up for debate. I think it's at least 100. So, and then uh, the CIA director was there uh, about two, well, within the last two weeks, I think it was actually last week, and he talked about intel with the ukrainians and what to expect 
And uh, there's a company in the Intel sector called Palantir that's uh, very, um, they're innovative and they might be worth a look at also. Over. Actually, we have we have a lot of people who trade Palantir now. They do wait wait they do a lot of stuff, don't they? Yes, they do. Um. All right. We'll look, we'll look into that. So, but what, what's the what's the time frame? I mean, if uh, if somebody decides we're going to ship, no, no, the Bradleys, Bradleys, what? Uh, it's, it's a it's not a tank. It's not a jeep. It's somewhere in the middle, right? What? It's a Bradley fighting vehicle. They call it. That's correct. Now, what is and, that? And it's on track. Okay, it is on tracks. So it's like a German half track sort of thing, or sort of. No, I mean it's just. Uh, I mean they're infantry fighting vehicles, but they're on track. Okay, so we have those out of inventory, but now, let me, well, I guess the question I'm trying, I'm fumbling around here to get is, if we have, you know, a thousand we haven't used in a while, we ship these guys 400, do we replace the 400 all the time, some of the time? Do we rush to do it? Uh, I don't think we rush to do it, but uh, they they may get replaced uh, in a, uh, over a longer period of time. For instance, when I was in the 82nd, we would get a request in to ship, uh, I forget what the, it was just an older type of vehicle, or Humvees. So we would have to send out Humvees for weeks. So we would look for our oldest Humvee that was still operable, and it could be maintained, and then we would identify that, and we'd turn it into a supply depot. They would refurbish it, and then it would get shipped out to wherever it was going and I'm sure that's what's going to happen with the Bradleys you know people will identify the older Bradleys but they have to be serviceable and then they'll get shipped out eventually and then over the long haul they'll get replaced but that could be two or three years so it's not a very quick process but when you say overhauled Clearly, the, the people that are making the parts are somebody you might want to look at if you could find out who the hell they are. Yes, that is correct, because they're going to come with uh, a logistical tail. And if, actually, there will be probably, we will probably end up sending contractors to either work on the vehicles, I would assume, maybe in Poland. I don't think we'll be working on the vehicles in Ukraine, but uh, they may bring them into Ukraine to work, but I'm I think we're trying to keep Americans out of Ukraine. I think we sort of are too. I mean, that's what you read. I mean, you're closer to it than me, but uh, I guess. Right, and that and that would be. I mean, the alternative to that, Mike, would be um, hiring independent contractors who are not um, not employees in any way of the uh, of a uni- the United States uh, government. And uh, that that's so true, Kevin. And there's also. You know, they have what they're calling the Foreign Intelligence Brigade, or not Foreign Intelligence, but the Foreign Brigade, like the French Foreign Legion. There is a Foreign Legion in Ukraine also, and I think it consists of two to 3,000 people. And so you might find some mechanics in there, but usually companies will give you something in a logistics tale uh, to so that you can maintain the vehicles and the systems that you're shipping to them. Mike, what is the status? Uh, I mean, Chicago, I mean, I'm sure you know, is a huge Ukrainian population. Uh, and I'm, I'm closer to it than, well, not that close to it, but 
obviously Angelika used to the show is Ukrainian and one of the guys that uh, we see from time to time in uh, the local library is from there and uh, with the University of Chicago he's got like three degrees uh, uh, Ukraine now there's people that have gone back there uh, that, are, that are U.S. citizens that were born here have gone back there to fight uh, what, what is their status what, what, they just go there and sign up for the Ukrainian army are they a special unit or what's the deal well, that's what I, that's where I think that foreign legion comes into play, and Canada has a lot of Ukrainian citizens. Also, I'm not sure how many of them went, but I think that's why there is such strong support for Ukraine in Canada. Because it's, un, I was really surprised that the Canadians were going to give 200 vehicles, so armored personnel vehicles, to the Ukrainians because uh, they want to give them uh, better maneuverability on the battlefield. What um, the uh, when what is the status with Poland? Seems like they're helping a lot. Is that are they obviously they're taking somewhat of a risk there? They probably think it's less of a risk than if Ukraine falls there next. But I, well, how do you assess that? The Poles are always more aggressive in their support for uh, for freedom. Let's put it that way, and they want to keep Ukraine free. Plus, their suffering the brunt of the refugee population so i think that plays a factor into it i i think the majority of the refugees from ukraine have gone out through poland and then from there they proceed to other european countries or wherever else they're going i assume that there's roads and trains between ukraine and poland that is correct and And there there are people i mean i watched a video a while back um of Ukrainians leaving uh, Ukraine and going into Poland, and then there were essentially refugee camps right on the border between Ukraine and Poland, in western Poland and in southern Poland, and and there they would get processed and fed and maybe meet some relatives that were already in Poland or somewhere else in Eastern Europe. What the... I was reading, uh, I just caught an article yesterday in CNBC, had to do with uh, uh, Europe, Britain for sure is, is essentially tiring of the war. Well, I mean, we have, you know, we're not, we're not 25 anymore, so we don't really know what the 25-year-olds think like, although we remember what we thought like at 25. Uh, I don't, or, I don't, or we didn't. Or we didn't think much, yeah. Uh, I, I remember the movie. I remember the movie because she's my favorite. My favorite girl, Tina Fey, was in. Was it Whiskey Foxtrot and something, something? It had to do with her being a a uh, correspondent in Afghanistan. And as the time went by, even though we were fighting there forever, uh, as time went by, she had to put crazier and crazier stuff to get on the first few pages of the paper because people here were over it. Even though people were there dying and getting wounded on a day-to-day basis, nobody here gave a crap basically, unless you had a son or daughter over there. Uh, is that starting to happen with Ukraine, in your opinion? Was in this article seemed to think in some parts of Europe they're just those guys still fighting, we're still shipping them stuff. What are we doing? Isn't that over yet? Well, I think maybe it's happening, but Zelensky is pretty good about keeping himself in Ukraine at the forefront of the news. I mean, he he had several Zoom calls with uh, Davos this past week. I, I mean, I just read the article this morning, and he keeps harping on the Europeans is they need to give him well now the plea is for tanks so he's trying to get the tanks and he's trying to get the Germans to approve the 
that the Poles give some of their leopard tanks and that the Finns give some of their tanks and we give our tanks. But the Germans kind of put it back on us saying they want us to give the, the Ukrainians some Abrams tanks. And until we give the more uh, highly developed Abrams tank or more technical Abrams tank, they're not going to give their tanks over to the Ukrainians. The... Uh it's very rare that our man Lou uh, is wrong, and when he when he is, he certainly steps up and says he is. And he was on about six weeks ago, Mike. I don't remember, Kevin, I don't know if you remember. And he was talking about how we've borne the huge huge brunt of giving the Ukraine money. And it turns out the next day he sent me he sent to all of us, I think, uh, uh, an assessment that said he was absolutely wrong that Europe is now given way more than we are collectively, uh, and that the Germans in particular have really stepped up in the last six months or something what what do you make of that you, you lived in germany for a long time i mean obviously you're you're kind of onto that what what's the change of tone over there all of a sudden well i think it's because russia is such a big threat and they're seen as much more aggressive than what the europeans had thought they would be i i don't think that uh, putin's stance on ukraine was anticipated by the europeans and now, for instance, Finland wants into NATO, Sweden wants into NATO. So that's two countries that have definitely changed their tune within the last two years. They never wanted in uh, into NATO. As a matter of fact, you know, there is a uh, term, you know, the Finlandization of Europe. or fin- So Finland always stayed neutral because they're on the border with Russia. They, they did not want to antagonize Russia. And so we'll see how it all plays out. But, I mean, Putin is preparing, I think, another, uh, another whether it will be an invasion. But, I mean, he's already, uh, he has his troops training with the Belarusians again up in the northern part of, um, well, in the southern part of Belarus so that they can come straight down and try to capture Kiev again. I can see that happening in the in the springtime when the weather gets a little better. Well, we had a yesterday. It was, it was two different people. One, you know, one's a a stock guy, but on the New York Stock Exchange forever. I mean, I love the guy. Uh, uh, Cashman was uh, he's the older dude who's used to be on the floor. Now he's not anymore. I think he's kind of retired, but he comes on CNBC a lot. And he was talking about how the Ukrainians, you know, need to get to the negotiating table and. Uh, what you mean like Zelensky and the Russians? I don't see how that could go anywhere. I mean, Zelensky's not going to say, I'm, I'll, "I'll give you half my country." I mean, he's not going to do that. I mean, I, I can't imagine him doing that. Uh, but then Kissinger, who God, he's still alive. Uh, I read something about him yesterday, and he was saying that the negotiations, well, from what this article was, and all that detail. But I, when, I, when I read through it, I'm adding maybe some of my own. I'm hope not. His his point is that the, the negotiations have to really take place maybe us and the Euro- Europeans to Russia and with the theme of we got to get you guys back in the world community and this is keeping you from being in there uh, you know the idea of you can't cash checks you can't do this you can't I mean you can't you know can't have assets overseas that we did he he thinks that the negotiation should be on the high road or some people think it, it's up to Zelensky to hey give him half your country so we can stop sending you crap basically is what you know so, a trader might think, you know, because they think only in their own mind. 
Uh, what do you think about that? I, I happen to think Kissinger might be right again. Well, I don't think Zelensky is going to negotiate with um, with the Russians, at least in the near term, because he doesn't want to give up, uh, you know, essentially the eastern half of his country. Plus, the Crimea is important to Zelensky. And, you know, the, the Russians essentially took that over in 2014, or whenever it was, but... Uh, you know this uh, he he is not going to give and i think he has the support of the ukrainian people although they may tire of the russian bombing after a while but you know power is on still in the major cities but it's maybe four or five or six hours a day you know there's rolling blackouts but it's zelensky will i think he will be very stubborn about this well, what do you think of Kissinger's well, idea? As I look at it, too, I mean, the, the, the issue with negotiations is how can you possibly, with the way things stand now, how can you stake out ground where each side can say, say I, you know, it was worth it, or that each side can save face? Um, and and I, I don't know how you do that with either side. And, you know, so just as a, as a negotiating ploy, uh, you know, we, we, you can always debate uh, the level of U.S. involvement. You can always debate the level of you know, and, and, the, and that's our our local interest. You can you can debate you know what the role should be of everybody, what NATO's role, all of that. But in the end, people aren't going to sign off on anything unless they can walk away saying, "See, it worked out well for us." Um, and the only other option then is for for there to be a winner and a loser. Uh, well, what do you think of Kissinger's idea to try to do it from the top down? Good luck. <laughs> that's kind of my. Well, reaction, I mean, but, but that's but that is that is the drain. I mean, I, I don't know what the drain is. I don't think I don't know if they care about the people that they're losing over there. You know, they don't seem to have enough uniforms or have all that other kind of stuff. But but I mean, I think a lot of people in Russia do care of being ostracized from the the, the community, especially the people with money. I mean, you can't travel, you can't sell stuff over here. I mean, is 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 the carrot will let you back in the real world like everybody else? Is that enough of a carrot? I guess is my my question because well, and, and and look at look at just look at it though from uh, each each uh, country's point of view. Uh, not negotiate. What's the risk for not negotiating for Ukraine? Well, it's it's ultimately getting crushed. Um, it, you know, it, it, they, they can they can be pesky. They can you know they can they can try to outlast the Russians, but in the end. Um, it, you know, they're, they they always face the possibility of becoming totally a Russian state. And if you look at it from the standpoint of the Russians, if Putin backs down, do you think he's going to uh, uh, last a week once it's over? I'm not sure he's going to last anyway. But do you think if 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 he doesn't win this, well, but what they did away with a win is he going to last or is he going to be, uh, um, you know, on the outs and uh, and. You know, either be retired or killed in, uh, in well, the Spanish in disgrace or killed. The Spanish Civil War did end. You know, I mean, it was a, it just beat the hell out of both sides forever, and not to mention the poor people in Spain. But it it, it did end. I mean, the Russians did leave Af- Afghanistan. I mean, so did we. These things all end. I mean, uh, I mean, w- one of the guys that uh, the the dude I was talking about, he's saying that everybody's giving Ukraine just enough stuff to, <laughs> to basically. 
to get their ass kicked over time and not to win. Uh, what do you I mean? Is that? It almost seems like he's right, Mike. Is it? Is it? Or am I just being a smartass? No, they had a uh, very successful offensive uh, right before. Uh, well, not before Christmas, but in the fall. I mean, they were pushing the Russians back. Now, unfortunately, the Russians are counterattacking. So I think that Ukraine could succeed, but it will take a long and protracted effort. And I agree with Kevin that that Putin is all in on this. So if he loses, I mean, he he loses whatever power he has, and, and he essentially has total control over the elites in Russia, over... What the, I, I, you know, the history. I'm not. I'm not so good at. It. We only got a couple of minutes here. What what transpired? I know was it was it part of Gorbachev coming into office? They eventually did pull out of Afghanistan, just stock and lock, stock and barrel, and said, you know, we got our ass kicked and left. Um, what, what what was that part of a regime change? Or did the, I can't believe the person who went in there is the guy who picked up and left. I mean, would it would it take a regime change for Putin to make the same decision? I guess is my question. Based on yes, history. I think it would and. Yeltsin, Putin goes back in history to, he, he refers to Yeltsin giving away Ukraine. He, he sees Ukraine as still a legitimate part of Russia or the old Soviet Union. And so that's why he, he is so adamant about trying to get Ukraine. Plus he keeps using this neo-Nazi excuse. You know, he keeps attributing fascism to Zelensky and his administration, which is, you know, totally false. But that's it's that's his narrative with the Russian people is I'm fighting a neo Nazi regime. Well is it the his plus Ukraine is in the old Russian sphere of influence. So he sees that as I mean Ukraine is the buffer state between East and West. Well, is it the history of that, Mike? We're going back to World War II. And I mean, again, it's a fabricated history. I'm agreeing with you. Wasn't the history of that that when uh, the Russians in- invaded, the Russians came to, came to grips with the Germans, evidently in Ukraine, and a lot of people in Ukraine thought the Germans were less less abrasive or le- less less of a pain in the butt than the Russians. They fought with the Germans, right? They did, yeah. Um, and that's where this the the uh the Nazi and the fascism comes into play. Oh, and, oh, you know, western Ukraine, the area around Lviv and really west of the Dnieper River is pretty much uh, incorporated into the West. Eastern Ukraine is still pretty much Russian. But is it, how, how would you like to make that call? Let's see, Stalin, Hitler, Hitler, Stalin, you're flipping a coin on that one. I, I'm not so sure which one side I would have fought on if I had to choose between those two. One was equally bad as the other. Right. Anyway, Mike, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, and Mike, I know you you wanted to get to some other stuff. So le- next week, I guess we need to pick up. We wanted to talk about classification and yeah. uh, you know a few other things. So we'll uh, we'll have to pick back up on that next week. Yeah, especially since <laughs> today Biden is outraged that uh, people are even talking about his documents. Well, they probably wouldn't have if he was a- if they weren't chasing Trump all over the world. I don't know if they're equivalent problems, but uh, still, I mean. The reason why everybody's after him is because he's being hypocritical, like all these people are. Just saying. Mike, thank you. Kevin, thank you. Uh, by the way, are you guys going to be in line for the next coach? Uh, no, <laughs> I, I, I am most definitely not. I'm busy. You're busy? <laughs> Mike, you're retired. You could do it. 
Yeah, I could, Tom. I could probably do as well as Mike Bray's doing this year, but who knows? By the way, how'd you I like the team? That, how'd you like the team that only shot three pointers the other night? <laughs> they were. Well, that, that was actually earlier this season, but yeah, that was fun. I sent out to everybody for for uh, for the listeners on this one. Uh, Grinnell College, um, which is a, a small college in Iowa. Um, their basketball team took 111 shots in their game. Every single one was a three-pointer. I think that they were freelancing with no D. Do we know anybody who liked that style? <laughs> I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't know. I would. <laughs> Mike, it could have been you. We don't know. Anyway, SMA uh, Futures up 11. <laughs> NASDAQ Futures up 78. When we were playing, there was no three. That's a, oh god. We're talking about dating ourselves. Be right back. Uh, Stocks and jacks. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Hello, everybody, Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howe. Andrew on the board. Who, who was that? Uh, it's a. Uh, uh, this is Chicago. Uh, yeah, Chicago. It wasn't uh, David Crosby. It was Chicago. No. 25 yeah. or 6 to 4. Yeah, I, sorry. I was, wasn't able to get a. I uh, saw uh, those guys live twice. Not really. Their signature song, pretty much. Uh, Carl, how are you? 
Oh, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, they they were, you would know this, they were originally named the Chicago Transit Authority. Correct. And the, the Chicago Transit Authority, since they have nothing better to do, decided to say, we can't have a, somebody named after us, so they became Chicago. Well, you know, it's, there's there's always uh, always got to be a flying ointment, right? Oh, yeah, you got to have time to do all these kinds of things rather than, like, just drive buses and trains and so forth. I mean, right? I mean, it's a... Yeah, absolutely. You know, getting mad that somebody, uh, you know, is, is putting some nice music to what is a rather dreary experience is just not allowed. You think they could have cut a deal with them and said, can we use your music for free on the L's or something? And maybe cut a deal. It would have been nice, pleasant driving on the L and playing a little Chicago music. Well, I don't know. Well, we don't have capability to do that, but you never know. I mean, uh, hey, uh question for you um, in terms of the numbers since you're the, the numbers guy I have a million questions for you by the way but what did you uh, before we get into that what, what did you think of uh, I don't know if you were listening in the last 20 minutes or so what did you think of Mike's assessment of, of the Ukraine situation well I think it's probably about right um, y- you know part of the part of the challenge since this whole thing started is that first thing that happens when somebody starts shooting in a war is, is that the truth goes right in the toilet Okay, everything is a propaganda operation one way or another, whether it's for your internal consumption of your people or it's external consumption of everybody else. And unfortunately, in today's world, uh, there, there really isn't a line between those two, and that's one of the things that, you know, the Internet and the, and the uh, shortening of distance and time for communications has done, is that you can't really have... Uh, propaganda that's produced only for an internal audience anymore, because you can't you can't keep it from you know being both directions, if you will. Um, so uh, it's very difficult to sort all that out. But I I would say that there's 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 two basic problems from from the standpoint of Putin. Uh, this is an existential fight for his. Uh, you know, for his office, if you will. And the history on that part of the world is a whole lot more complicated than most people want to let on. So, uh, you know, this, this this whole thing about Crimea, for example, I mean, if, if you really want to get technical about it, it goes all the way back to Catherine the Great, who purchased the land. And, and, of course, it goes back even further than that if you want to. But if you want to, you want to actually try to put a marker on the ground as to who has title to what, um, well, that's, that's what happened. Okay. Um, and so that's, the, you know, that's kind of where things are at the moment um, and, and where we're going. And, and the idea that we can have these proxy wars on an indefinite basis uh, which does some really nice things for you know for certain companies because they get to make a lot of stuff that gets blown up and of course once it gets blown up you have to make some new ones right oh yeah uh, and and you know that's that's all going to be wonderful and fine and everything yeah, you know this uh, we have we've been doing this for an awfully long time this is not a new thing and it's not limited to one side of the aisle or the other we have an industry and it. There was, there was some warning about this during the time that this country was founded. It was one of the reasons that the only permanently authorized military department was the Navy. Really? Yeah. You know, we, we, it's, actually, it's actually forbidden in the Constitution to raise armies with a funding period of more than two years. 
We don't pay attention to part of the Constitution we don't want to pay attention about. We know that. Well, that's right. But, but, you know, but a Navy was foreseen as necessary because, hey, you know, people might want to try to invade by water. <laughs> and it yeah. takes time to build ships. Um, so, you know, that was foreseen by the founders. But, but the other branches of the military, from a constitutional perspective, uh, the presence of a standing army uh, or, or any other standing branch of the military was considered something that was outside the boundaries of, you know, what America was supposed to be. Well, the uh, I, I read something the other day, and of course, I read so much of this stuff, I, f- I forget some of the, uh, that since in our, how many years we've been around, 200 and some years, like some huge percentage of the time we were at war with somebody. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, it's, 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 it's clearly not us. I mean, there, there's stuff going on around the rest of the world. I mean, it's not like people... I mean, as Mike Royko, you know, defined war better than anybody ever else. They got it. We want it. Let's take it. I mean, <laughs> it's not about religion. It's not about. It's 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 usually. I mean, uh, you go back to the the Peloponnesian War. You know, the, the uh, you know the between uh, uh, was it Troy and, and Greece? It wasn't about some good looking babe, right? It, it was about trade rights. Oh yeah, and it, you know, I mean, it's. It <laughs> Heck, you can go back even further than that. You can go look at the, you know, the, the original Crusades, right? The first one was a response to an invasion. And, and that was a no BS invasion by people who, you know, today we call Muslims. Well, they were Muslims then, too. Yeah. And they decided they want some land, and, and by God, they were going to come and take it. And the First Crusade was essentially a response to that. The other two, not so much. The other two were full of corruption and craziness that, you know, that is, is, gee, isn't it funny how the same thing keeps happening over, you know, thousands of years, right? Well, there's a fascinating book that maybe you, because you've seen all this stuff, you ever read a, read a book or hear of a book called Catastrophe? Mm, don't think so. It, it was, I saw it on TV, it was a, I don't know who the hell it was, it was a History Channel or something, something. Some guy get basically got a hair up his ass, and this is how this is how something how somebody gets a phobia that starts. Carl, I mean, I can see you're a you're a guy that if you if you saw something that was curiosity, you'd spend the next two years driving it down too. But this this guy was at somebody's house, I think the story was, and he over in Britain uh, in in those you know whatever areas there are over there. One of the things that's considered really cool as a piece of furniture is to have some old you know, 90 bazillion year old tree that went down where you take a slice, maybe an inch slice of the, of the trunk and, you know, and polish it all up. And that's, that becomes your, your coffee table for lack of a better term. And, and this guy was at somebody's house having beers or whatever the hell he was drinking. And he's looking at this thing and he sees in, in the rings that you can count the amount of years, right? The rings, I can't, but I mean, right. so he knows the hell they're doing, Ken. He notices that in one area, the rings are real close together. And he's like, where the hell did that happen? Where did that come from? So he, he, I don't know if what, he had any interest in trees or what he did, but he, all of a sudden he starts going to other people's houses and looking at trees, and, all, and always in the same area, the rings are like real close together. And he's like, what the hell? Something must have happened to where these trees essentially didn't grow for four, eight, ten years, however, however long it right. was. And so he starts digging and digging and digging. And finally, I'm not going to read a whole book because the book to read it is, is in a lot of ways very disgusting because essentially something happened 
and they eventually found it. The British government, you know, got up, got up, got on with the guy, and he, they ended up found, finding some massive uh, under underwater uh, volcano volcanic eruption that stayed going for under because the water kept pouring in between the water and the, the stuff coming up. It basically darkened the skies for I'm going to say a decade, to where not much grew. It was a way colder. It wasn't an ice age, but it was it was brutal. And he went right. through, and he went through every. And he, every society had some sort of written history, and he found that, like in the in the steppes area, the people who were the, the horse people always kicked ass on the people who were the cow people, you know. But then all of a sudden, in that area, that era, the cow people won because guess what? Horses can't survive in that kind of stuff because they need the grass more than the. For those that don't know, horses only digest what thirty percent of what they eat. They basically poop out the rest. Right, and uh, we're cattle because they've got I don't know I don't know much about cattle. They got a couple of different stomachs. They basically yeah, the ruminants they make much better use of the caloric yeah. intake they take in. I knew you would say that better than me. Uh, so anyway, so but all, all across the area, I mean, you, you saw changes in the politics. You know, you didn't have all the castles all of a sudden built in that time were not built you know on the land. They were built next to a body of water because people were fishing instead of growing stuff. Anyway. But that's a part. That's kind of a time when the Muslim religion, same era that the Muslim religion popped up with Muhammad. And one of the reasons why people listened to Muhammad was his dad was very wealthy and all his grain stored up, and he was giving people grain while he was listening to the kid, basically. Well, the Roman Empire was degrading, and there's a whole chapter talk about disgusting. Hope nobody's eating their breakfast. He had to do. It's very similar to today, Carl, with uh, Ebola and things like that. Evidently. The bubonic plague had always been around somewhere buried in the bowels of Africa, but it stayed there, sort of like Ebola. Well, all of a sudden, the guy's got a whole chapter, and because it was colder, this particular rat <laughs> that only made it, you know, a hundred yards or a thousand yards from the from the bubonic the, uh, the bubonic plague cave, all of a sudden had to go four hundred yards, and he made it to where he the, the next rat. So the next rat got. The fleas jumped on him, and essentially, right. because of the weather, it made it all the way to what's the, the, the what's the side of Africa the the, uh, the east side of Africa where all the ports were. Uh, the, you know, that's where all the pirates are now. But there used to be actually that's where the, a lot of the trading took place in that area. So the rats made it to the ships, and the, right. ship, and the ships made it to Rome. And once they made it to Rome, they managed to go all over Europe. And basically, then they, then they had all sorts of fun. Yeah, yeah. And once it got to Europe, so essentially. The Muslim religion was was growing just when the Roman area, the Roman um, uh, whatever you want to call it, monopoly or empire was was fading. So part of the Muslim religion was it became we're going to use this religion not just to you know go around like Saint Paul and write Episcopals. We're going to our religion's better. We're, we're going to use this to take places over. So the the, the the religion was a very conquering type religion. We want people yeah. to be Catholics. Well, guess what? They're going to be Catholics. They're going to dead. And by the way, their land is now our our land. So, well, yeah, it's, it, you know, isn't it funny how people wrap stuff in whatever their particular political armor is that they have today? We had a we had a guy. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, in a, in a church. I mean, the South Side. I mean, the, the the homilies, sermons, whatever you want to call them, were always you know somewhat milk toast. They talk about the gospel and so forth, whatever was on there, and they give you some story because the, the the people in the pews were all every, every ages, right? So St. Bernadette gets this guy in there, and he was teaching at some college here. 
and he actually works up a, a real homily, <laughs> something like he'd get maybe at Notre Dame, the cathedral. And uh, the guy gets up there one Sunday and he goes, you know, more wars have been fought in the name of religion than anything else. <laughs> they, they couldn't wait to get rid of this guy. Because <laughs> wait a minute, we, we don't want that on a Sunday morning. We're all going to play golf. Just, just keep it easy. Keep it low. Keep it easy, will you, buddy? But anyway, when we talk about this stuff, I mean, yeah, it does it become, uh, I mean, our, what, what is, our, is our real goal? Is it the tryouts? Are, are, we, are we trying to make let these guys win? Are we trying to give them enough stuff? Are we trying to keep Russia off the world stage? I mean, Kissinger thinks that the only negotiations can happen at our level. Look, you guys want to become part of the world again. This is how you're going to do it. You're going to pull out of this place. And, then we'll, and this is what we'll do. We'll let you back in the where you can write a check. We'll give you your yachts back. Those kinds of things. I mean, he doesn't think it's going to happen. Zelensky trying to trade off a city of Ukrainians to the Russians. I, I don't think it's going to happen that way either. Do you? No, I don't. I think there's a there's a very serious uh, you know lack of reason, um, especially on the Ukrainian side. Putin's Putin's requirements, if you will, uh, have been very well known for a very long time, and he hasn't changed them. Which is, uh, I mean, you know that. Uh, among politicians, that's pretty rare, right? I mean, yeah. we, pretty much everybody tries to move the goalposts when they think they're getting somewhere. And, uh, you know, certainly we do it all the time. But he hasn't. And he's been very clear that NATO presence directly on his border is unacceptable, that Crimea is Russian. That is as much a historical thing, uh, and, you know, as I said, going back to Catherine the Great, as it is a strategic problem because. Uh, the, the, Russia's only 12-month black uh, deep-water port uh, empties into the Black Sea. So <laughs> anyone that thinks that the Russian government, no matter who runs it, is going to allow their only 12-month deep-water naval port to be constricted by somebody else who's unfriendly to Russia is out of their effing mind. Well, I, I would think okay. that, uh, that even Ukraine would probably concede that. Well, no, they want, that's the problem, is that that's, and that is what, that is what lit this all off, and goes all the way back to when, when the Obama administration was going on, and McCain was over, over at Maiden giving speeches and all of this, is that this, this was the issue that set all of this stuff aflame this time around. Now, of course, you know, this, like I said, this has been contested land for, you know, well but over I mean, a thousand years. But they years, never, they never, and they never, in my, I, mean, I don't know, you Agree with me, or or, dis- or tell me I'm nuts. I don't. They, Ukraine never uh, messed with Russia's ability to use that port, did they? Well, they were threatening it, and and yes, to some extent they did. After after the uh, the maiden stuff, when it broke away, they started threatening to turn the water and the power off. Okay. And in fact, that was one of the big things with this with this offensive is that the apparently the water source. Because, uh, you know, I mean, seas tend to be salty, right? Not so useful. Right. So you need fresh water. The water source is, is materially to the north of there and comes in by pipeline, and, and that's, that's part of this whole dam complex that's over there. And so this is one of those things is that, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, Putin isn't going to blow that up because if he blows it up, he screws his own people. <laughs> right? and, and so far that's turned out to be true. He hasn't blown it up, even though he easily could. And, and he would screw his own people, so he's not going to do that. Uh, but th- there's, that's part of the problem, is that there's been essentially a, a dirty civil war going on in that part of the country 
um, since since the whole Maiden thing went down. And at some point, when you have people do something, I mean, well, you remember when that Malaysian airliner yeah. got shot down, okay, was hit by a buck missile. There's still some controversy. I mean, there was, supposedly there was an investigation. Supposedly it was determined that a Russian fired it. Yeah, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Both sides had that system with launchers in that immediate area when that plane was hit. Exactly who mashed the button is an unknown. Uh, we, they, I don't think anybody ever actually said, okay, it was this launcher, this serial number, you know, was, was the one that fired it. But these guys had these weapons in that immediate vicinity, and they were actively fighting, which is one of why, you know, one of them went up on alert, thought that was a military plane. It wasn't an intentional shoot-down. Somebody thought it was a military aircraft, and they fired on it. Well, I just, I mean, I, we have, we'll, we'll shift a couple other subjects here, but I think that the, uh, I think, uh, Henry Kissinger is correct that it needs to be for for that port to always be able to be used by the Russians and something can't it's not something they can negotiate themselves it has to be more of an international thing well they won't yeah and, and that's the thing Russia will not give that up they will anybody that thinks that you can force them to to you know basically allow that to fall into NATO hands essentially whether by you know whether directly or indirectly I, I've, I've got news for you. Our cities will glow before that happens. I would, I would say that uh, that's probably. I'm, I'm not negotiating for him, but that's that's an easy toss. You can keep lay off of Ukraine, and you can keep the port. I, I I'm thinking most people would probably go for that, but then again, I'm I'm a trader, so. Well, I don't think that, I don't think Zelensky will go for it. That's the whole problem. That's why we're where we are, and it, this is well, now we, a year into this, and, and but there's pressure there's no end to it in sight. But there's there's pressure we can put on both sides that, that the two of them. Oh, oh, oh absolutely, and, and you know what, Chief? We should. Yeah. And we should have been doing it from the start because this is this is insane what we're doing over there right now, and the the worst people that are getting hammered by it are the Ukrainians yeah. and the Russians, and of course, you know, the Russians that are conscripted and come in there. But the further this thing expands, the higher the probability that this gets out of control. Well, and as my, my buddy says from Ukraine, he goes, we're, we're getting just enough to kill ourselves and not enough to win. I mean, it's kind of where we're at. Yeah, but remember remember one thing, okay? We, you know, we, we played this tit-for-tat game you know, during the Cold War and everything. All right? We were, at one point, we were literally one Soviet officer who refused to turn a key away from a full-on strategic nuclear yeah. exchange. Oh, yeah, we got real close. was ordered to sink a, air, a U.S. aircraft carrier with a nuclear torpedo, and he refused to turn his key. Yeah, I mean, we, we're, we're pretty close. A couple of them, I mean, I, this, this, this really does, it's not totally similar, but God bless it. Does, it does seem like the Spanish Civil War, doesn't it, where both sides are trying out all their new toys? Oh, yeah, and I mean, you know, and, and this guy, he knew he was going to, you know, he's spending the rest of his life in Siberia for refusing to do that, uh, right? Hey, I want to turn a little bit to some of these uh, economic numbers, because this, yeah. would, I mean, I, you're the man, I've been, you know, obviously, always can't wait to talk to you, but this week, with all these people laying people off, now today it was Google, and nobody seems to know how many people are getting laid off here in Chicago, but the, what's the number nationwide, 12, I don't know if it's nationwide or worldwide, but 12,000, and Chicago's well, a... Well, Microsoft is killing 10. Well, Google has a, a a big. They're one of the biggest new builders and occupiers of this uh, West Loop area. Yeah. Uh, oh, so, I know. So, I mean, I, I don't. I don't know how many people they have there. If they have a thousand or five hundred, how many of those are going? But uh, that one hits closer to home. I don't think Microsoft has people here. They probably have some people here, but but I guess. My, they, well, they used to. I don't know if they still do. But yeah, they they did in the Chicago land area that back in the you know, nineteen ninety time frame. Well, what? I, well, I'm, I'm staring at this, so I'll ask this question first. 
I'm looking at the we came to the CPI number last week that everybody got giddy about, uh, and I'm looking here that they've got uh, motor fuel gasoline in the last year down twelve and a half percent, and it was down a, down a percent and a half last month, and they actually have gasoline is like almost four percent of the average person's basket. And you know what? Yeah, well, uh, well, yeah. People put gas in a car to go to work. I I, I get it, but uh, if if gas is is four. Uh, healthcare and ensure your 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 healthcare is not seven because you. I uh, I know I yeah. you know this is this is just stupid and <laughs> the, the waiting is is outrageous. But you know what I what I've been saying for months now is that from what I saw and then especially when we had this omnibus thing that went through in December, which which <laughs> none of that none of that is in the numbers yet. Okay, no, no. Um, you're going to see a double spike. And it's going to come from the PPI side. The PPI side is not showing it yet. So until it does, and it will, because this, the omnibus spending is going to go into the system, you're not seeing it yet. You're still seeing the relaxing slowly on the PPI report, which I was paying attention to. But it's showing up in March, which is the, which is the Commerce Department's retail sales numbers. They were revised down for November, and last month, December, which is normally a very good month, and on an unadjusted basis it was, but on an adjusted basis it was negative. Now that almost never happens over Christmas. Okay, what I'm, I'm looking at the gasoline line here, though, is down 12.5% yeah. last year. In the last three weeks, gasoline's up a minimum 15% everywhere here. Chicago. Wow. Oh, yeah, well, it's up, it's, it's up here, too, yeah. So are we going to erase the entire last year's of decrease in gas prices in this next CPI. Is, and what's that? Because that was the biggest mover in the CPI, that and used cars. I mean, you know, I'm yeah, I don't know that you're going to erase the whole thing. But if, you, if, you're, say, you know, if you're asking, is it, is it going to go the other direction? Uh, yes, absolutely, oh, because I'm seeing it here. And then the other thing is, you look at this, you know, in the foodstuffs, um, uh, you know, supposedly eggs... This uh, you know this last month in the in the supposed uh, December read uh, was you know was not all that horrible. Yeah, right. Okay, pull the other one. They're still going up here. Um, while I'm looking at this, if I can find egg, nobody nobody can eat. Was it 24 egg? How many eggs do they eat in the in the move in the uh, cool hand loop? Well, uh, the index the index supposedly in December was up 11 percent, but uh, I mean uh, you know. The, <laughs> I thought this was maybe leveling off, okay, but in the last week they've gone up another ten percent here. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find eggs. I got pork chops. I got frankfurters. Frankfurters are up two point eight percent. In case you're interested. Uh, yeah, well, you know. Here we go. Eggs, eggs were up. Uh, they were up fifty nine percent last month. So they're they're counting it. They're counting it, but it's up eleven percent on the year. I'm going to say it's higher than that. Uh, yeah, well, it is. It's uh, ridiculously higher. Yes. But somehow or another, yeah, but, in the, they've, or, but they've doubled, chief, in the last in the last couple of months. Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying gasoline in the burbs got down to three oh seven three weeks ago, and now it's three fifty again. So, it's, oh, I know, it's, 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 we're seeing the same thing here. It was under three dollars. Okay, so that so that that will work its way back through next month, and and it'll essentially erase the last month's good news in the CPI. Now, my question is, my next question is, when do all these layoffs? It's now the the 20th of January. Now, the notification just went out. Those people probably right. aren't being dumped till the end of the month, right? They're probably going to get one more paycheck. 
One, sixty, 60 days if it's worn at, if it's worn at uh, required, which it will be for those companies. They're big enough. All right. So when 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 are we going to see that in the numbers? The, the people actually going up. So they can't can them for sixty days. Is that what you're saying? Well, you can, but you have to pay them for it, so they don't count as unemployed. Okay. So, re- really, even though the intention is there, I mean, we've we've seen what fifty thousand in the last week, right? Or they're close. Oh yeah, no. This is gonna. It, this is probably. This won't be in the in the January numbers because the survey week is the third week, and that's already happened. Okay. Okay. So so that's the you know the survey week um, was this week. Right, because it's you know it's the third week, so that's the survey's already occurred. But these and and those people are still working. The announcements have been made, but those people are still working. So it's not going to be in the January report. There'll be pieces of it in the February report. Most of it will be in March. And uh, we got to go to break here. But I have one question. I know you know everybody, and you have moles everywhere. Do you have a mole in Twitter that's bidding for one of those keganators for you for your house? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you with a keg. I'd, I'd, I'd drive down there if you had a kegginator. You know, you was sitting there. Nice you know, I've got. I, I, many, many years ago, I used to have one of those things. Uh, it was an old fridge that I drilled a hole in the side of, and yeah, you know, those things are great. S <laughs> P futures up eight. S P futures up seventy three. Who knows? They might even have an up market here. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. Investments will make you wealthy. Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas, and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with their choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, 
or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, North Bay Stacks and Jacks, I'm Tom We have uh, Andrew on the board. We have Carl Denninger with us. SP Futures up nine and a quarter now. NASDAQ Futures up 76. We're going to try and be up here for the last few days. Not so much. A Dow down seven points. Uh, Dow is actually down for the year now. Down like 1,200 points in the last three days. It's a, a huge move. I mean, individual stocks have gotten clobbered. Even the venerable Goldman Sachs was down a bunch this week, which normally doesn't happen. <coughs> we have uh, DAX up 66.4%. FTSE up 12 0.2% CAC around up uh, 38.5, so moderately up over in Europe. The way of review yesterday, Dow was down another 252. It was the day before was six something, and the day before that was 350. So that would be uh, what the hell is that? That's 1,200 points or more. Uh, S&P 500 yesterday was down 30. Nasdaq down 104. We're in Asia today. We have the Nikkei up 148.6%. Hang Seng up 393. It's almost another 2%. It's over 22,000. In uh, October, it was 14.4. I think Carl bought the bottom. I'm, I'm, that's why he's buying his Keganator, I think. Shanghai up 24.8%. Uh, bonds up four basis points, 3.44. The bond, which was in danger of going below 2%, is now up another nine today to 2.15, so it's shooting up. Uh, Japan up three basis points, 0.43. Uh, we've got oil uh, back over 80 bucks, 40 cents, up 40 cents, 80.73. Brent up 41 cents. 86.57 natural gas down six cents 321. Um, I guess the utilities will say they hedged and that's why they're charging people way more. But 321 is pretty cheap. Our Bob up two cents 262. We had gold up again today 610. Had a big move up yesterday 1930. So going to make it to 2000. Silver up 20 cents 2407. Copper unchanged 422. We've got a Bitcoin down 27 bucks but still hanging over 21,000. 21,083. Uh, and we have the U.S. dollar uh, up a little bit, where the pound is at uh, 1.23 and the euro is at 1.08. Andrew, what do you got for us, traffic, weather, sports? All right, it is 7.35 here in Chicago on January 20th. Uh, starting off with sports, uh, tomorrow in football, we can look forward to the Jaguars playing the Chiefs at 3.30 p.m. and the Giants playing the Eagles at 7.15. Now for some scores last night, uh, starting with hockey. No, it's not the hockey, sorry. Starting with uh, basketball. Uh, the Bulls won over the Pistons, uh, ending 126 to 108. And the Suns beat the Nets, ending 117 to 112. Now moving over to hockey, uh, the Blackhawks won over the Flyers, 4 to 1. But the Coyotes lost to the Capitals, 4 to 0. Now over to Chicago weather, it is currently 33 degrees with some light snow out there. And 33 is going to be the highest we're going to have today. It's not going to get any higher. Over in Phoenix, it's at 47 degrees, cloudy. And they're going to move up slowly over the day. It's going to get to about 56 degrees. Now, finally, for Chicago traffic, it's nearly the same as uh, our earlier report. Um, Some traffic is building on the major expressways a bit more than earlier. Nobody comes to work on Friday. (laughs) 
No, no, still the only thing of note is that one accident on the Dan Ryan is cleared, but there's still some delays behind it, so... Roads are not terrible. At least, I don't think. So that's all I got. Back to you. SP Futures again, up 7, we're trying to hang in there. Carl, I got a, I got a question for you. I know I'm, I'm, I'm going nowhere with my in inflation assessment, uh, because even though I, I know I've, I, because it's, you know, I've studied that my whole life, I know that I'm right, but I'm not getting anywhere with it in regards to uh, what happened this time with the balloon of the money supply, you know, 35%. Now it's actually slowing right. down that they're, that they're really, even though it's working its way through the system and the government, the balls of the government, CPI, PPI, there really isn't any push for inflation right now. And what we have is a, is a price level that nobody can deal with, and I don't, which is a different problem than ongoing inflation, which I don't think we have anymore. But well, yeah, the, the but the price level problem means that the only way to fix it is for it to come back out. Well, that, no, that but that's another fight. I mean, it's you know. The, and, well, and not only is it going to be another fight, but I I'll tell you what: if you want to know where the where the really huge problem with this is going to show up, is is that I think there's a just leave the, leave the human misery side of this out of it for a moment. There is a clean argument that the entire COVID response was a second rescue of a collapsing medical system. The first one was Obamacare. It had nothing to do with actually covering people and helping them. It had everything to do with rescuing a system that was about to, to, to literally collapse upon itself. I'm going to say it's... And we say caused it over the previous 30 years, but now, and, and, and I will cite this as, as my chief piece of evidence in this, when, when that started, one of the first things Trump did was put a 20% bonus on every Medicare or Medicaid paid bill, everything that goes through CMS, if you test positive for the virus. Right. It does not matter why you're in the hospital. It doesn't matter if, if, you, you, if, you, had, if you had prostate cancer. If you, if you tested positive, you got a 20% bonus. If you wrecked your car. Yeah. Okay. Or, you know, the guy just smashed his motorcycle and his head is splattered all if, if you can find a positive you know test result it's good for an extra 20 percent and that's and to this day chief that stands I, I, to this day I, well I, I agree with you I, you know what uh, Carl you don't I'm not, I'm not asking you to uh, listen uh, every day but you know it's really interesting that different people I have at, and obviously we have some you know, main contributors and you're one of them, uh, if you take what they all say over a period of time, everybody has just a little bit of different view of things, yet if you take them all together, it's really friggin' accurate. I mean, it's really accurate. And and, and one of the guys, he hasn't been in a while because he's been moved and his, his girlfriend's running for alderman, so he's doing a lot of stuff with that, but Eric will be back on, Eric May. Oh, cool. He brought up the, the one day about Chief, it's not all about profit anymore. It's about this management class that doesn't even right. care about. I mean, with the, the money you're talking about, Carl, and I want to dig back to some of my inflation there in a second, but money you're talking about, it pours into the system. It doesn't go to care. It doesn't go to doctors. It goes to this incredible overhead in the system. Oh, and, and, and you know what? What, I, what I've said for the last 15 years is that this this policy that we have had in the United States, you see it in a labor report every month. We put 30,000 people a month into employment in the healthcare sector, on average, okay? 
30,000. And think about this. Over the space of, of a year, all right, that's 3.5 million you know, that go, that, oh, I'm sorry, um, 360,000 people that go into yeah. employment in that area, right? Yeah. Okay. How many people, how many people go into the workforce over the space? Uh, and, and by the way, if you went into the workforce, uh, you came out of, you know, where about 16 years earlier, right? Yeah. All right. How many people do you think go into the population, the working age population in the United States every year and have on, on an average basis over the last 30, 40 years? Probably almost at probably that amount. It was like twenty. No, it's it's about, it's about two, a little over two million um, a year, under three million. Yeah. So it's so the population increase, the working population, has been about one percent reliably for a very long time. I thought you said it had slowed down the last decade or something. Well, it has, but uh, not. But, okay. but, but it has a little bit. But the okay. point is, it's about there. Okay. So what you're saying is that for every 10 people in the population, we are adding one person in health care. That's a... Uh, well, we have in this area... Oh, that, 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 Chief, that's crazy. Well, it's not just... I mean, how much do the people make at the top of the chain in these drug companies? How much do they make in these... Well, yeah, but, it's all, but you know what? You tell me what, what job in health care is, is, you know, is a schlub you know, sweeping the floor, right? These are all well-paid positions. Well, here's here's what I'm, I'm going to run this one by. I don't know if it, I mean I don't, in Tennessee. I don't, who knows? I mean, I'm not going to say any bad. But uh, here, what you're finding, especially in some of the burbs, uh, if you go into the hospital emergency room, it's I don't know what's going on in there. I mean, uh, but they have these these urgent care centers now that are are staffed and handled amazingly well, Carl, and they have good equipment. People get care in an instant, and you're out of there like in an hour or so. I mean, if you got a stitch or two, I mean, the overhead is nowhere near the same, right? And and and, and in fact, some of the areas now, uh, I, I don't know well, my area, they might have one. I don't I've had a chance to use it, but if you have a cough or something, and, and wondering if you have, you know, strep throat or something, some of the some of the pharmacies have somebody there who's I don't think it's a doctor, but it can can take a throat swab, send it out. Right. And so, I mean, it, 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 and you're there for, you know, 10 minutes. And, uh, and the overhead there has got to be next to nothing. I mean, it, I mean, are, are we making some progress here? I, I think we're actually making some progress in, in, in what we're trying to accomplish. But it still doesn't stop the head of Northwestern, the head of Rush, making a bazillion dollars a year and, if, you know, half the, half the space be administration instead of care. And it's somehow that yeah, and it's but when you look at when you look at it on a systemic level, I mean, yes, there are some places where some you know where some good things happen, right? But when you look at this on a systemic level and the tentacles that this has stuck into the American political and economic system, if we do not reverse this, and, and I, I said twenty twenty four, and this was back you know back when I first started my column, and in fact the original date. I was only a couple of years off that, and I made the original prediction in the 1990s when I was running my internet company that it was going to eat the federal budget, it was going to collapse the federal budget, and there was going to be no way to pay for it, and Medicare and Medicaid were going to come apart at the seams and destroy the American medical system. Well, the, the we, thing, when you say that, though, I, first of all, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing, but I don't I mean, I don't, I don't know if you're old enough where uh, you, you deal with some Medicare. I mean, I deal with my parents and so forth, and but Medicare pays... A surprisingly small—they pay almost a, 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 what you would consider to be a regular price. 
that's good. That's correct. And the problem, but the problem is that what they, you know, what you always hear from physicians and hospitals is, well, we can't make any money on that. That's why, you know, that's why the other price, all the other prices, are so high. That is a lie. Yeah, we well, yeah, By law, Medicare is not allowed to pay below cost. Well, one one thing you you. Uh, but of course, I, how do you how do you account for cost? Is is you know you used to do this stuff, right? <laughs> I was just going to say, if you if you subtract twenty five years from me, there weren't too many people better at this. When you say cost, I could give you ten different definitions. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> and, and see, that's always the problem, right? Is that there's always that's where the fight is. Well, what goes into this? What goes out? Is it, yeah, is what it, doesn't go into this? It's, it's, is, it, is it variable you, you cost? Can, you can play all sorts of games there. Everybody knows that that has ever run a company or has ever done cost accounting or anything like that for a business or has done quotes. And, uh, yeah. But the, the, the problem that we have at its core is that what, what uh, Obamacare brought in was a mandate for electronic medical records that are not under your control. And so as a result, when you go into the doctor's office now, they start asking you things like, do you have any guns in the house? Oh, yeah. Do you have any, is there any food insecurity? You know, things like this. All of this gets coded in your chart, and it never goes away. And so, and, and now, the ICD-10 stuff that has been expanded, now there are specific codes for you refuse the COVID vaccine. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, the problem with, your, with that data is that you don't own it, number one. And secondly, there is no private right of action that exists anywhere in the United States law if somebody abuses it. HIPAA does not have a private right of action. If you have somebody who violates it, the only person who can bring suit is the government. Well, I have a... Um, just, just from my cost-accounting world, uh, when I used to do... You know, I used to price out railroad cars and things like that. Uh, right. Well, you know, the, the weird part of it is, is we were talking earlier in the week about some of these university systems where... Let me go back to very very quick basics here. I'll, I'll try and do this in under two minutes if it's possible. Uh, when you when you when you when you decide you're going to price out a railroad car building, whatever it is, Carl, railroad car probably more so because it's uh, actually it's, it was sixty seventy percent stuff you bought, uh, material you bought. So a building's got to be that too, right? Uh, probably sixty seventy percent steel and concrete, yeah. whatever. So, but then you look and you say, okay, how many labor hours are there? And you'll say, okay, it was going to take. 2,000 labor hours for uh, an Amtrak car, say. Uh, so you know what your direct labor costs are. It was 20 bucks an hour, 18 bucks an hour back in those days. And then you're going to say, okay, what's my overhead rate? Now, what's, what do I have to add to that to make up for the guy who was stacking the material, doing all the sweeping right. the floor? And if you had an overhead rate of, yeah. of one and a half times the direct rate, if it ever got to two, you know, so in other words, it was another forty dollars of overhead on top of the twenty dollars of. You ever got to two? You knew you were friggin' non-competitive, Carl. I mean, right? You, you could. I mean, you, you a, a really well-run place. The overhead rate would be what one and a quarter, one and a half, right? Would, would, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and it, of course, it depends on the industry, but yes. Yeah. And uh, so, it, so how, how do you get to have a university where the number's like ten? And, and oh, think you know, you're, think you're somehow, well, you, the way you get to it is by abstracting the price that somebody pays out into a third party so that it is impossible for there to be any kind of market competition within that industry. And that, that has happened within the educational environment, and it has happened within the medical field. And if we do not stop it, it is going to collapse the ability for you to get that 
care. Well, the, if you can imagine, I mean, I, I said this before, my, my grammar school, St. John Fisher, I'm still proud of the place. Um, and now a lot of people are, you know, we're part of it is kind of a lot of people with money are moving back in that neighborhood, you know, fixing up some of the houses, housing stock wasn't all that good, just so their yeah. kids can walk to school with other right. kids, have a place to play, come home for lunch, they, they want that environment. Anyway, but the, because uh, they think they turned out so good, like me. <laughs> good. Yeah. But, 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 but where I'm going with this is we had uh, 1,600 kids in the school. So we had four classes in every grade, so that's 32, plus two kindergartens, that's 34. There was a music teacher, there were two janitors, and there was a principal, and she had an assistant, and if somebody right. called in sick, the principal taught class. So there were five indirect people versus 34 direct people. Right, and everybody else was actually teaching kids. Yes, everybody else was teaching kids. So and now compare that to the University of California system where they've got, I'll pick a number, they have, they have 10,000 uh, teachers, and they got 100,000 other people. That, yeah. That, that, that fish doesn't swim, I mean, in any competitive system. Well, that's right. But, Steve, that's, that's the thing, is that edu- the educational system and what we've allowed to have happen with the indirection, you know, the idea that you get this quote, and, and, and by the way, the government, this doesn't happen without the government protecting it in some oh, right. way. Without a doubt. Right? You, you, because somebody you comes in and says, oh, guess what, I'm going to make a billion dollars and you're all going to go bankrupt. And they're right if they're allowed to do it. Yeah, but I, but I, have, I have a quick, I mean, as you know, I, it bothers me the way people re- report on this inflation stuff. Today, if you listen closely, there'll be 10 people on talking about how the problem with the inflation right now, and Larry Summers, I think, is, is on this bo- on this train, although I didn't listen to his whole speech, so I shouldn't say that, uh, that inflation is there because the wages are still going up. And they, they point to the, the 70s and 80s. And you know what, Carl? I don't know if you're, if you're a, a fan of Western movies, but one of the best lines in all in all movie-dom is in Man Who Shot Liberty Valance when the guy says, when the, when the legend conflicts with the with the with the uh, facts, print the legend. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, but I mean, I I, I, w- I went through that whole. I wasn't at the, I was really young at the beginning of it, so I didn't really know that much. When we actually what it was '68, we went off the gold standard. Was that right? And well, '70 wasn't it '72 when he closed the window? Maybe it was '72, but some that's when essentially. The Fed started printing money to pay for the Vietnam War and other stuff. So, the 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 inflation of the the late seventies and early eighties was a seven eight ten year phenomenon, just like it was this time, right? Well, COVID made it worse, but it still was there. So, and the, the interesting part is people look back. Maybe it's because of the age thing. Nobody's old enough to remember the beginnings of it. Maybe it's the age thing, but everybody will say it became wage inflation. Now, I'm I'm going to say. From being there, categorically, and I will say I will debate this with anybody, including Summers. Uh, at the very beginning, labor got the shaft, like they always do. And prices right. went up, and 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 it was only after a period of time, the, the unions, even though they were stronger, Carl, they didn't get inflation in April and in May get across the livings clause. That didn't happen. It took a, a, the three years or five years, whatever it was, for the contract to play out. And at the next negotiation, after being drummed by this inflation, people said, hey, we want a cost of living thing going here because this looks like it's going to go on forever, which, you know, it sort of did. And, and but So at the end of the game, the last year, when the CPI was doing the same crummy job it does now, and it was showing their inflation when there really wasn't, people in industry, people in unions, were getting a raise for the last six months 
that they, quote, probably didn't deserve because there really wasn't any inflation, even though it was coming through with the CPI. Uh, okay, so they got, they got stiffed by four years in the beginning and, and, and overran six months at the end. There, there isn't anybody, isn't anybody, when you listen to these, I won't say mopes because they're not, you listen to these, there isn't anybody that could give you any sort of a rigorous study that said labor made out in the, in the inflation from 72 to 83. There, there's no way they made out they. Oh, yeah, no, they got hammered. Yeah, not to mention there were, there were a million tax, uh, tax uh, what do you call them, brackets in those days, way more than now. And, and if, if, you, if you started out making 15 bucks an hour in 1972 or 10 bucks an hour, and at, at the end of 82 you were making 18 bucks an hour, your tax rate ballooned, didn't it? Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> oh boy, I, you know, I grew up as a late adolescent and an early adult in that time frame, or I graduated high school in 1981, and, and our family was not wealthy, we were, we were working class schlubs, and anybody that tries to tell me that the, that the wage side of this won, and that the labor side of this won, you got locked in your head. I can't tell you how many nights we you know had beans and francs because that was all we had money for. Listen all day long, and that's all you hear because because the wages are going up, the rest of the world is screwed because that's causing the inflation. No, it's not. That's, it, 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 you know, <laughs> I have a visceral reaction to people like Summers that run that garbage. Yeah. Okay, because I lived it. So did I. As a as a young person, and and it was, it, people think that this kind of thing is not going to continue for you know for a period of time. You see all the stuff in the markets right now. Oh, you know things are relaxing. It's going to be great. You know this year is going to be better than last year. Yeah, I know you're down twenty percent last year. Put it all in. You know all chips on the table because that that never happens two years in a row. It was a five year mess. Yeah. Oh yeah. Without a back doubt. during that time, and anybody who thinks that it's going to be better than that now, after the amount of credit that our government dumped into the economy and the crazy distortions that they did, specifically in the healthcare sector, which nobody has done anything to correct. Now, one thing I will say about the '80s was that when when the the pivot came in terms of okay, we got to actually do something about this, there really were some changes made in terms of. You know, brackets being collapsed and stuff like this, right? Right. That actually did over time were helpful. Yes, absolutely. Those pivots have not come yet in the, in this current situation. And anybody that thinks that this problem is going to go away or end or get better or whatever have you, until those changes come in, is nuts. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, look at, and I'm not going. This is not a, a political statement, right or left. Look at the two people that for the last. Trump and Biden. Look at the two people we have in charge. They they are in absolute. They're in denial, like they're swimming in the river in Egypt. They they have no idea what. Neither one of them seemed to have a clue what was going on. Chief, both sides of the aisle are absolutely equally complicit and to blame for this. It is not just the Democrats. It's not just the Republicans. I, I've pointed this out repeatedly. You know, it was just as Trump just came out the other day and said. Oh, you know, this thing that I did with warp speeders, it, 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 still absolutely fabulous, saved 100 million people, da 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 Rasmussen ran a poll, said 7% of the people who got these shots had major side effects. The CDC says they're rare. Rare is defined by the CDC as less than one-tenth of 1%. Well, I'm going to, I will say this, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no fan of the man, 
I actually thought that the the way the warp speed was was set up to to uh, accelerate a solution, or whether you know, they they oversold the solution. You're not going to get me to debate you on that. But the way that the way it was set up to say, given the money they were spending all over the rest of the damn place, to spend twenty billion dollars on accelerating what people might have thought was a solution. Uh, I don't think it was the way it was set up. I thought it was actually pretty good. Uh, no, I, I disagree entirely because there are, there are many things you can only learn through time. You cannot accelerate that process, okay. and if you do, what you're going to do is exactly what we got, and the odds are not in your favor, and the risks are ridiculous. The idea that we should have done this at all is crazy. Well, I, I, and w- it, I would say I'm going I'm I'm to push back just a little bit. I think for the people who were, get, were getting caved in the nursing homes right and left, I don't. I don't think that part of it was a bad idea. But plus, we'll yeah, get it to them very fast. Did, yeah, but what they did in the nursing homes originally was a horrible. Was plan, essentially yeah. a slaughter. I mean, yeah. I, when this thing started, I said the only way you're going to deal with this with high risk populations and people in nursing homes and you know seriously morbid individuals is to set this up much like we used to do before we had antibiotics with tuberculosis. You have to set up a sanitarium model because it's the only possible way that you can prevent yeah. screwing these people. You know, uh, one of my uh, good friends, uh, client, uh, his group is in the uh, nursing home business, like all over the country. I don't know if I yeah. mentioned this on the air. Probably didn't, because but now the statute of limitations has run out. I think it, I think it was in New York somewhere. I'm not, I'm not positive. Uh, some somebody was uh, uh, moonlighting. A lot of people in nursing homes, I guess, in some of the bigger cities, go yeah, right. Most from of them do moonlight from the hospital to the nursing homes. So somehow, correct. Somebody came from the hospital essentially with their same scrubs on, uh, and served dinner at the nursing homes. And, and, and nailed all of them. It's like forty-two people in two days. They they infected. It was it was incredible. Yeah, well, this is but see that's the problem is that this is this is why you have to have a sanitarium model. The only people who are safe in a situation like that to come and go are people who have thorough converted and therefore presumptively immune. And until you have that, you have no other option but to have a, 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 an absolute isolation policy. And that's and, and yeah, that's just the way it is with high-risk individuals. There's anything you can do about it. When you don't have effective prophylaxis that actually works, and, and you haven't proved it, if you don't do this, people are going to die. And, and we, we as, a, as a nation, absolutely... And, and you know, and then you had the governors that actually literally shoved sick people oh, yeah. into those nursing homes. That that was insane. That was manslaughter, and people should go to jail for it. Well, we nobody, we, you know, nobody we, wants to talk about that. No, we got we got a dash. Nobody wants to talk about anything bad, Carl. But we got a dash. But I, I will say this: the, the the thing that was bizarre to me. I mean, all the stuff about the drugs. I mean, you know way more about that than I do. But the thing that was bizarre yeah. to me is somebody who caught it early, before there was a vaccine, um, survived it, had the antibodies. I, I never, not that I would have wanted to do it. They never said, "Hey, anybody who's already over this thing, if you want to do, if you want to do public service in a nursing home, please come on over." Because I had that would have been the, the the same thing to do. But yeah, we were never people who already had it. They had their own antibodies. Were, were, you were like a, a, a an outcast class. You were sa- you were safe, and yet you were considered a leper. Yeah, which is the most bizarre thing I've ever. I, yeah, I, 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 unbelievable. SP Futures up four, Nasdaq up fifty four. Carl, enjoy your weekend. Uh, any huge picks on the on the foot, football, or are you, uh, you're neutral? No, I'm fairly neutral right now. I, you know, I don't know. I've 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 kind of over the years, I've sort of lost uh, a lot of my interest in that. <laughs> well, if they fired, 
they fired the uh, the Tampa Bay had no line and no running backs. They couldn't run. Brady, Brady had to throw fifty times, so they fired their offense coordinator and all the coaches. Aren't they fired? Yeah, well, you know yeah. that's how it works. It's always yeah. the coaches' fault. Well, the offensive coordinators are the guys that are dying this year. They're all getting fired. Well, yeah, I guess when you don't have any offense, uh, you know, what else are you going to say, right? If you just would have called the right play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be, right, be back on Monday, Stacks and Jackson. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.